whenever. Oh, we're recording. We're recording. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And I'm Melanie Reef. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. So we're kicking off our summer tournament. We can call Woo! it an annual summer tournament. Because we did it last year and we plan to do it again. This yeah. year, we will be focusing on a very important filmmaker, actor, performer, writer extraordinaire for both of us. Yes. Um, probably one of the touchstones of our film watching relationship. <laughs> I, I would say actually, yeah, I, I'll get yeah. into my commentary after yeah. we say who it is. It's Mel Brooks, you guys. Mel Brooks! <laughs> Yay! Um, okay. Happy birthday so, to Mel Brooks, by the way. Is it his birthday today as we're recording this? No, no, no. Oh, no. This is, you're, <laughs> it's your June is- 28th. So on June right. 28th, wait, I didn't look up how old he I think he'll be like 96 or something like that. What? Really? He's That's in his like, mid-90s. So impressive. 1926. So he will so be 97. 97. Okay. On June 28th, he will be 97 years old. 97. All right. So Mel Brooks, I actually was going to say, it's very fitting that um, last year our tournament obviously focused on the late, wonderful Nora Ephron. And then this year it's focusing on Mel Brooks because I really do think, as you said, it's touchstones of our relationship as movie watchers and like, two of the people that we talk most about was more uh-huh. Ephraim and Mel Brooks that definitely started us talking about movies. Uh, but also as writers, I mean, my writing style, I think has been heavily influenced definitely by Nora Ephron. Uh-huh. And I think my sense of humor has definitely been, been influenced well by Nora Ephron, but definitely by Mel Brooks. I mean, Absolutely. it helps that I'm Jewish because <laughs> yeah. like this is the pinnacle. He's the yes. pinnacle. Um, of Jewish humor and smart Jewish humor. And like, just, I mean, his satire is bar none. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it pushes the envelope. He definitely, like, I think he definitely goes there, but with Mel Brooks, like, as we'll discuss in some later movies, not necessarily um, these ones. Well, actually, yeah. In um, To Be or Not To Be. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The punch is never down. The punch is mm-hmm. always at the oppressor, which is what comedy should be. And yes. there are definitely things that we'll talk about that are like, whoa, um, but it's all done in the frame of satire. So I'm so excited uh-huh. to dive into Mel Brooks. As Jessica said, I think this is Mel Brooks is definitely one of the foundational, foundational writer directors of our friendship. I, Jessica and I were just talking actually before we started recording. And I'm sure we've said this on the podcast before, but one of our <laughs> like, you know, solid lines is like if we we I mean we've obviously known each other for over 20 years and we all we said for a while if we lived in the same city we'd be best friends because we would just watch Mel mm-hmm. Brooks movies and quote them back and forth to each other yes. all mm-hmm. day and you know silver lining of the pandemic is it allowed us to figure out a way to do that so mm-hmm. which was you know the genesis of this podcast obviously so I'm so excited to dive in today especially since Jessica introduced me to two Mel Brooks movies I haven't seen um, the first mm-hmm. of which being 12 Chairs, which is his second movie as a director, I believe. Yes. And the first time he appeared in one of his films okay. that he wrote and directed. And so what year was that in? 1970. 
1970. And then the second movie we're going to be we're talking about is To Be or Not to Be, which he did not write or direct, but he did star in um, uh-huh. with his wife and Bancroft. Yes. And I was reading, and this was in 1983, and To Be or Not to Be is a remake of a yes. movie that was made in 1942, which uh-huh. is so interesting. And we'll get into that later. Um, because it has so much to do with World War II. And so when the yeah. original movie was made, they were in World War II. So. They were in the middle of it. And yeah. it was so like this not movie, very long after the events of this movie would have taken right. place. I, it, it was like during the events of this yeah. movie taking place in some respects. I mean, not during. It was like three years after. Yeah. But um, the 1983 version obviously had um, had hindsight. Um, but still not a ton, um, not a ton yeah. of hindsight, only 40 years. Um, but this was, they, they had been in other movies together, but this was the only movie that they co-starred in was yes. Anne, Anne Bancroft and, mm-hmm. uh, Mel Brooks. And I think, and what's so fun about this, and we'll get into this more later too, is Anne Bancroft is so known for her excellent dramatic work yes. and to see her in a comedic role. So she was hysterical. Uh, like she was hysterical every- and just... It's like she can flip a switch. It's literally like somewhere in Anne Bancroft was a switch of like, now I have to be charming and funny. Boom. She flipped it. Everything she did was funny. It was was so great. She was just comedy, like embodied. Genius. Genius. Uh, I could, I, and yeah, it's like, I grew up watching the turning point all the time. And she is like, cool. It's a heavy movie. And she is a, heavy heavy See, character my, and sh- and it's you know it, it's like it's not even the same person honestly oh. really not even the same person could awesome. be playing both those parts <laughs> um i my will my and bancroft associations before this movie were um the graduate obviously oh like, yeah 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 i yeah. mean the graduate <laughs> is the what the graduate is the Anne bancroft role that i think of Right. Most obviously. But then um, the Hel- Helen Keller movie. What? what she won mm. Oscar for it. Why am I blanking on the name of this? Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Miracle uh, Worker. Yeah. The Miracle that's Worker. That's right. That's right. For which she won an Oscar. So mm-hmm. it's the, it was so fun. And we'll get into it. But I think we should definitely start talking about 12 Chairs because that was yes. earlier in mm-hmm. Mel Brooks's career. And you had <clears throat> seen this before, correct? Yes. So I did this thing when I was like in like older high school, college, even into like a little bit post-college and I'll still do it nowadays, but not as much because like we've talked about like attention span and time for movies. It's just not what like floats my intellectual boat as much anymore. But like if I find back in the day when I would find a director or a writer or whatever that I really liked, I would just like deep dive. So my Mel Brooks. I don't think you're alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people do that, but like, um, so Mel Brooks happened kind of like when I was going off to college, we were big into men in tights and space balls when I was in high school, but then I was kind of, Mm -hmm. then I think I saw blazing saddles like right before I left for college. And I was like, Holy shit. Like this is, this is legit. Like it's not just men in tights and space balls as we will get to, probably the pinnacle of the spoof era for him. So mm-hmm. quite a bit different in tone from some of his earlier stuff. Which is also So satire. after I saw Blazing Saddles, I was like, I will literally watch every single 
Mel Brooks movie I can get my hands on. So that summer before I went to college, my mom and I watched High Anxiety. I think we watched To Be or Not To Be. Mm -hmm. Um, We watched Silent Movie, like anything that we could find at the Blockbuster. This movie did not exist at the Blockbuster. But this movie did exist at a very, very tiny, eclectic video rental store on Massachusetts Street in Lawrence, Kansas. If anybody's been to Lawrence, Kansas for any sort of college-related activities, you've probably been to Mass Street. And this, there was this tiny little video rental store next to the brewery, a pretty famous brewery, Free State Brewery. Okay. And I used to go there and it was across the street from the Starbucks. So literally my like Friday night ritual, if I didn't have plans of the social variety was to go get myself a Frappuccino and pick out a movie. So I found 12 chairs, saw it had Mel Brooks in it and that it was written and directed by him. And I went and watched this movie alone on a Friday night as a freshman in college with a Frappuccino and probably some ramen or something. (laughs) And I was not disappointed at all. I was like, I have literally found a film gem. And I really, that's the only time I saw it. And so I had like very fond memories of it in my head. I have not watched it since until just the other day for this podcast. And so Melanie sort of didn't immediately... Well, you didn't really immediately like say, match the enthusiasm I had created in my head. <laughs> so I was like, oh shit, did I like completely misremember? Is this movie not very good? No, no I still was, feel the same way about it as I did when I first watched it. I really, it was I very really, good. And when it came out, it got, I think Roger Ebert gave it a four star review. I wow. mean, when, when it came out, it was really critically well received. It was yeah. Mel Brooks's second foray into directing, his first being the producers, um, which is just, very different. And I mean, my introduction uh-huh. to Mel Brooks was through, I mean, I think initially through Spaceballs, which was never really as much my thing as my brother's thing. Um, I was more of a men in tights person, which is strange because I think I was introduced to Spaceballs because I was a Star Wars fan. Okay. So you would sense. think that Spaceballs would be my thing, but men in tights was always more my thing. I was intrigued. I th- actually, I think, I think Spaceballs was probably the first one, and then probably Young Frankenstein. Yeah, and, yeah, and see, that was one of the later producers. ones I saw. Like, yes. I mean, I was. 10. Mm, I'm a big producer's musical person, right? So I don't I think I saw the original until when, I was much older. I think I was ten when the musical came out. Like, I was yeah, not very that, old. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and I mean, as I said, Jewish, um, Broadway person, and yeah. my parents yeah. are Mel Brooks fans. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I feel like. I feel like if you're a Jew, it's kind of like a prerequisite. Like, congratulations, here's your Mel Brooks uh, course right now. I mean, like Mm -hmm. maybe not, but like I do feel like that is in the curriculum. If it isn't, it Um, should be. It should be. At least in the Reformed Jewish curriculum. I don't think it is, you know, generally taught in synagogues. (laughs) Anyway, like that was my introduction. And so what's interesting about 12 Chairs is 12 Chairs is about – is it based on a play? It's based based on a novel, and I wish there have been multiple. Yes, adaptations I wish I had seen the actual number because I I did come across it in an article, and then I didn't leave that browser up. Stupid, stupid me! And then when I went looking for it, I couldn't find it. But I could have sworn it said that this had been um, adapted like twenty seven times. Um, multiple 
when I would go looking for the movie, when I was looking for it to watch it. There are it, at least like, 18 film adaptations. 18 film 18. adaptations. And it's a but then there's also Russian like novel. multiple um, Russian series, television series. Mm-hmm. And I think there was also potentially a television series in the United States or somewhere like that. So a lot, a lot. And so this is one of the later ones. The The Mel Brooks version is one of the last ones. The book, the book came out in 1928 and it follows a former Russian, uh, or I mean Russian, but former member of the aristocracy uh-huh. who has been in hiding because he was a former member of the aristocracy and not a Bolshevik and a con man who on, upon her deathbed, the mother of the aristocrat says that she hid her jewels in these 12 wooden chairs with gold um, brocade brocade <laughs> lining made by hams in London made by hams in London. And they, you know, obviously had been seized by the government and seized by the the communists when they took over Uh because it's a whole side of wealth and all that kind of stuff. And so now he is on a mission to go find these chairs before she dies. However, she also tells the priest priest of the town. She confesses on her deathbed to the priest. And it turns out this priest is not the most like, you know, godly straight and narrow played excellently (laughs) by Don DeLuise. Incredible. My first note, my first note is Dom DeLuise physical comedy incredible right off the bat like the the very first thing we see of him is him leaving what used to be their house with one of the chairs and just like or maybe we see him a bit before that but when he like Mm -hmm. is leaving with the chair that first time it he's so good it's it's so like every movement he makes is so hysterical in this film and even like the character that he created this just like he's so weasley and like slimy flippant and this voice he has is just like this voice he's doing is so like i I can't even find the words for it it's so unique i've never seen anybody like craft a character like this and then just pull it off you know it's just so fantastic and like you hate him but you're also empathetic it's oh yeah incredible it's an incredible performance um as dom deluise often does and like the thing about like so that's pretty much the setup of this movie is this Mm -hmm. con man it's very simple and then and then that is the plot who is the con man played by a very very young and very attractive frank angela charming frank langella and um, I, I mean so to he say, like, he's like buddying up to the mel brooks character who is a former servant servant of mm-hmm. um what i can't i can't remember his name of the aristocrat who's played by the aristocrat ron moody right, who's played by ron moody who my only association with ron moody is it's actually very funny to see Ron Moody play another character who is trying to steal things, albeit the <laughs> aristocrat this time, because my only association with Ron Moody was from him playing Fagin in mm-hmm. all, the movie of Oliver. And I mean, he is. Don DeLuise played Fagin. Of course. In Oliver did. and Company. Oh, he did, didn't yeah. he? Look I at that just connection. Watched Oliver and Company. Oh, look at that connection. Like, Right after we scheduled this, so I knew I was going to watch Twelve Chairs, oh. and I was like, "Oh, I'm just having a little Tom DeLuise week." 
There you go. Yeah. I was not really nominated for an Oscar for that role. I know. I do know that Oliver was the last movie that what musical that won an Oscar. I just can't remember if any of the actors won. Um, I, it won. Let me see. I'm looking at it right now. It was nominated for 11. He was definitely nominated. Okay. Yeah. Academy Awards. It, he was nominated for best okay. actor in a leading role for, um, Fagan. I'm, he was excellent. Um, yeah. it won so, best director and best picture in 1969. But anyways, he played this character. It had a servant who was Drunk. loyally and dutifully obsessed with him back in the day and gets played very, by Mel Brooks. Yes, played by this is Mel Brooks' character. He's really only in the first like third of the movie, but he's it's a very funny little character. I don't think mm-hmm. he did I don't think he did anything special with that role. No. Whereas you see him like later really get a little more creative, I think, with his characters. So Ostap, the con man, is buddying up to Tikon for a place to stay and just happens to stumble upon Ippolit, also drunk mm-hmm. and sort of uh, obsessing, uh, being depressed about the loss of these gems. Not his mother, just the gems. Nope. Just the chairs. <laughs> and, the, and so being the, chairs, the con yeah. man that Frank Langella, I'm just going to call them by their actor names because that's easier for me. Being yeah. the con man that Frank Langella is playing, which also the my biggest association with Frank Langella is as Nixon in Frost, yeah, Frost Nixon. Nixon. And so mm-hmm. con man there, cool. Um, <laughs> also, <Yeah>. Nixon, <laughs> returning champion again. Um, yes. How, whoo, it's, been gotten, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've gotten Nixon I think Nixon in. has been, been absent from season two. I think so too. So welcome back, But he back, likes Richard to show Nixon. up in our tournaments. Welcome back, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon back um, again. And so, nice. Um, <laughs> and so, so they team up because you have this con man and this aristocrat who um, are going to try, go try to find these chairs. And that is the entire plot of the movie. So going mm-hmm. back to Jessica orig- saying that I didn't necessarily share the same enthusiasm as she did for this movie, I did enjoy it. I thought it was very funny. I thought it was a easy watch. It's not a long movie yeah. at all. I think where I didn't necessarily share the same enthusiasm is I found it slow in the middle or yeah. found it a little slow because there's not much plot development. Like this is right. you're watching the one joke of these two different teams trying to get these chairs and their different impediments or what they find or what they don't. And that's fine. And I think, you know, yeah. we've talked about improv and how I I'm all about taking a joke to its like heightening, like, but there's not much other development and plot other than that. And I think right. that's where as an, as a whole movie, Until, like right at lost. the end, yeah, you start just right at the end. You really see that they have formed a friendship. So I think like there were a few parts it, like in the middle where I think that could have been played up a lot more and they actually went and maybe this is trying to stay more true to the novel. I don't maybe. know anything about the novel. I, I, sorry, I don't read very many 1920s Russian novels. But <laughs> maybe this is staying true to the novel in that they actually are really antagonistic to each other. Very much so. At points where you would feel in a typical American buddy flick, they would start to have more connection. 
And I think if that had been maybe fostered a little earlier on, and I talked to you a little bit about this before we recorded, um, which we always say we're not going to do. And then we do. We always do. Um, I feel like this is sort of the producers. I think the original producers, not the musical, the musical very Mm -hmm. much embodies more of Mel Brooks wackier style yeah um the producers is very straightforward very typical Mm -hmm. like plot progression very typical um straightforward comedy i think we start to see the genesis of mel brooks more unique style using some of the like sped up camera chases being really kind of goofy being a little more like wacky with the characters and the humor and just having like leaning into just the hysteria of things and, and just the things being uncontrolled and off the wall. Right. There's so much. I think you start to see that. Yes. I think you start to see that. I think if he had leaned into that a little more, which is hard in your second movie when your first movie was critically acclaimed, Mm-hmm. And very straightforward. I think if he had leaned into the wackiness just a tad bit more mm-hmm. and and focused a little bit more, like you said, on the development of that, of the relationship between Ron Moody and Frank Langella's characters. Yes. I think it wouldn't have had that sort of like, where are we going with this? Obviously, we're going to find all the chairs. Right. Well, and I do but, love it. Mean- yeah. So, but but the, then at the same time, I kind of feel like like comedies in that time were rough. Like some of my absolute favorite comedies from like the late 60s and early 70s, like they just feel like that. And I... <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I it's, think, it's, I think it's kind of like they were almost like, well, it's drama with jokes, you know? Yeah. And, and we didn't get a lot of the same stylistic things like we did get later in the, mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s, where some of these really brilliant comedy minds were able to just be like, no, we're going to do like really goofy shit. And that said, I don't think a lot of 90s comedies age well. So, I mean, anyway. True. Um, so, I mean, I think there's so much, like, brilliant wordplay in this. And there, as you said, there's definitely, you know, obviously Mel Brooks' style is evident in the producers with the, like, satire of uh, Springtime yes. for Hitler and all of that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, his affinity for musical theaters and everything. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that just made me crack up in this movie was, like, the very first, like, after you have that initial scene where the mom dies and it kind of sets up the whole conflict of the plot, you kind of, like time jump to a little bit later but in between that you have like an opening song that is hope for the best hope for the best the worst the worst and if i haven't heard a more appropriate eastern european <laughs> jewish anthem yes. i don't know what i don't i mean they're obviously catholic they're, they're like russian orthodox in this movie uh-huh. so like so that's not like the same but like honestly that is that is like the song of our people like yeah. it is so i mean i think there's a song in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that Rachel Bloom wrote, and it's at a bar mitzvah. Patti Lapone is playing a rabbi, and they're all celebrating. They're doing the hora, and the song is called Remember That We Suffered. And my God, if I haven't seen anything more Jewish, like them celebrating and doing the hora, and then also remember the Holocaust. Like, yeah. that is the song. Yeah. And like that is, like, that, again, is this kind of song. It's in, like, that klezmerish minor key. Again, they're Christian, they're Russian Orthodox, so it's different, but like, whew, that one got me. And mm-hmm. then, like, what the introduction to of 
Frank Langella's character as the con man and how smooth he is. He sees a woman Mm -hmm. that he likes. He's making out with her. Her husband comes home and then immediately like switches to like giving her a massage and like teaching the husband to. Because she, because she was carrying too many groceries or something. Right. Out (laughs) with the 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 husband. He's like, out with the bad air, in with the good air. He's like giving her a massage and then teaching the husband. And and he like subtly switches to out with the good air, in with the bad air. It was very, very funny. And she says, do you love me? And he says, Let's just say that I am very much in lust with you. <laughs> Which is honest. It is mm-hmm. an honest answer. So I, as I was listening to that song, I totally didn't remember that song. So I probably didn't pay much attention to it back when I was like 18 or 19 years uh-huh. old. But as I was listening to it, I was like, these are some of the most Mel Brooks yes. lyrics ever. So I looked it up. Obviously, he wrote it. I mean, it says right there in the in the opening credits, I think, actually. But this was... And Bancroft, when he, they, they were doing this movie, and Bancroft encouraged him to write this song specifically, but also at this point encouraged him to write uh, a song for all of his movies and encouraged him to... And so this doesn't happen in this movie, but apparently she encouraged him to perform a song in all of his movies, which does happen in mm-hmm. most of his other movies, not all yes. of them, but I became a humongous production in history of the world. Uh, part one. I mean, uh, not a week goes by where the Spanish Inquisition isn't just in my head. Oh my god, we so need to not talk about you. that because that is <laughs> thank, yeah, thank you, you and Bancroft. And um, I really, I mean, she really was his muse, really completely yeah. totally was his muse and Absolutely. i think that's so i'm just so happy i'm just i'm so happy that they had that for these like, people i don't know but and you know i mean he she passed away in 2005 yeah. so it's been 18 time. years um anyway moving back to this movie that i did not know that about Anne Bancroft, and we'll yeah. obviously talk more about them in their chemistry well, and like, they, and like her, like way to support your spouse Exactly. Way like, to go. Do it. You're talented and people want to see you. People want to hear your goofy songs and people want to see you dance. And yep. boy, do they ever. Boy, do we ever. She was right. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite moments in this movie with Mel Brooks, as you said, he doesn't have a huge part in this movie, but like in the beginning there, he really does yeah. set up oh, how yeah. uh, Ostap, Frank Langella and Ippolit, Mad Moody are going to meet and like, you know, Ostep just happens upon the house and goes, tell me who lived here in the old days to Mel Brooks. And, um, and he goes, I was my lovable master. He hardly ever beat us. Oh, whatever happened to your lovable master? And Tikhan goes, one night about 10 years ago, there was a fearful noise. It was bombs and cannons and soldiers shooting. It was terrible, terrible. And Ostep Bender goes, oh, yes, I I think think it was called called the revolution. revolution. Yes. That was it. The The revolution. revolution. You're smart. You're smart and you're gorgeous. You're okay. Um, and I loved just, right before that too, where Ostap comes up and he's like, "Tell me what goes on in this big house." And he goes, "Mostly dying, mostly dying, because it's been turned into like a like an infirmary for old people. aging women." Yeah, um, and then that's like there's just so much like work, like so many very quick moments like that. Yes, when, the, the, when, the conversation that Ostap and Ippolit have when he's try he knows. Ippolit's hiding something and Mm -hmm. he's getting ready to leave and all this stuff. And like, they just have this quick, like back and forth, back and forth. Secret 
Please. Well, what can I do, old cock? After all, I am a patriotic citizen of the Soviet Union. It is my sacred duty to turn you in. Now, maybe if you weren't such a selfish pig, we could do business. I can't. I'm going. Wait. Why? Let's talk. About what? Things. What things? I don't know. Situation. I'm going. Wait. Why? Let's talk. About what? It. What's it? You know. I know what. What we're talking about. We're talking about nothing. I'm going. You mustn't. I must. Why? A reward. What reward? Turning you in. Wait. Why? We're talking. About what? About the diamonds. The diamonds. The diamonds. Finally, Ippolit breaks and is like, my diamonds or something like that. But like, I loved it. I've ne- I've never seen anything like that. Like, just how how quick and and like suave he is the whole time. Vigil and his so voice, suave in this movie. his voice. My gosh. Yeah, he is so suave in this movie. Um, and Ron Moody is so not. Ron yeah, Moody no. is so and like hysterical. <laughs> you know, in the, the next when they're trying to go to a house and collect where they think one of the chairs is. Yes. Um, and tell them your tell them so your, your cousin Michael cousin from Michael from Kiev. And I don't like this and is the goes, last I, he, I am cousin a, Kiev from Kiev Michael. From Michael. And, and like, then I have like cousin chair at the Yeah, and then he, he so sees nervous. Dom DeLuise leave with this one chair that was left at this play at the house. And, and he goes, I am first... cousin chair. Yeah. And then he um and then he <laughs> then we um, have our sped up chase. Sped up chase, which is just such a like slapsticky oh, it's so, so funny good. because it's like to that point, like yes, it's comedy, but it's like very like grounded yes and then then you have a sped up chase with like chase music behind it and you're like yeah. what the and then yeah. they both end up like in the river and on the like is the holy father taking up a collection like there's just so many great lines in workplace uh you use the sacred sacrament of confession to further your own ends you're not worth spitting on and then dom de Luis goes well you are and then spits on ron moody it's just so yes. like so, so so funny and then, like, they go to the bureau to find. Oh to my god! See the, where the chairs the are. The bureau of what is it? I don't even know what is it the just building the bur- is. Bureau of furniture, like. Bureau well, there are so many <laughs> different bureaus. There's like the bureau of like, there's a the bureau building of, that has all the the bureau yeah. all the bureau of bureaus bureau bureau of bureaus and dressers bureau of furniture yes bureau of furniture not I think it is the bureau, bureau of furniture, of furniture in not listed in listed other bureaus in other bureaus because I think it's like the bureau of chairs the bureau, yes, of, bureau of lamps um, like all yes, of the different lamps bureaus and, and curtains yeah. and, so then, <laughs> and then, course, then the bureau like, of furniture not listed in other bureaus which why wouldn't they, there be like dining sets have their own I don't know. It was there were so hilarious. Many, like, so. This is, you know, one of the things about Mel Brooks movies. I think like two of the hallmarks of Mel Brooks' style is conversations talking past each other. Going back to what yes. you were saying about Rod Moody and Frank Langella, and that like we're talking about two different things, and then realizing there's a misunderstanding, which we'll see mm-hmm. again. I believe we see it oh, again. Oh, to be in, or not to be has to a, be a fantastic one. A fantastic <laughs> one. Fantastic. fantastic. That very fantastic. much plays into my best line from yeah. that movie. It, it just so so good, and then um, it has several actually. And to be or not to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I think one one of the things that Mel Brooks did like nothing is wasted. Like there's no, no. there's no set, there is no uh, set dressing. There's nothing that is wasted. Like that right. bureau. Like there's so much. If you're just reading all of the signs of bureau and bureaus, like not even paying attention to the actors, there's so much comedy in yeah. those names that you miss well, if you're not and, paying attention to it. 
And also, and this is something that we sort of talked about with Nora Ephron, but almost in a different way, because hers is very much dialogue. And like you're saying, Mm -hmm. his is very much environment and atmosphere and, and making something this, like, if you didn't have any context for this, this is not funny. This is actually very mundane. We're talking about furniture. We're talking about an office where the whereabouts of aristocratic furniture is cataloged. That's not funny. And he literally makes it hilarious. Right. (laughs) And then you have the whole part of it with, you know, Frank Langella pretending to be the comrade. And this was one of my favorite parts, actually. And I kind of stopped taking notes a lot because I got really caught up from here until the Siberia altercation, which we'll get to in a moment, because my worst line is actually in that, even though that scene is genius. There is one line in it that I just went, what the fuck? And, and that's what I have to do. Like I, I couldn't choose a worst line from this movie. So I just had to choose a line that I was like, I don't remember the context from it. Um, so, so from, from this scene until he actually gets to Siberia, I have no notes because I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Till Dom, um, Father Fyodor gets to Siberia. I don't really have very many mm-hmm. notes. And I don't really have a lot of notes, period, because no, I, was, I, don't either. I just get sucked into this movie. And it's not it's kind of a movie where, like you said, they're just like going after these chairs. So there is a lot right. of like plot progression. And that made it hard for me to choose like a best line yeah. because like yeah, so absolutely. often I choose I try to find a line that I'm like, oh, that really sums up this movie. Or is like this movie wouldn't work without that line or something like that. And right. this doesn't really, there's a few of those, but it doesn't really have that type of thing. And, right. and the lines where it's like, well, you need that to progress the plot. Like you have the whole epilepsy bit where yes. they're trying, they're like running out of money and they're trying to gain money. And, you know, being the con man that he is, there's a statue of Dostoevsky who like famously died of epilepsy. And Ron Moody's like, oh, we can work this. Like, he sees, you know, uh, not Ron Moody, Franklin Jealous, like, we can work this. He sees Ron mm-hmm. Moody sitting in front of the Dostoevsky staff yeah. in a very similar position. And it's like, oh, you're going to pretend to have epilepsy and we're going to, like, get people to give you money, which they do. People, like, throw money at him as he's having, like, yeah. he, he asks if he can roll his eyes and Ron Moody does this fantastic, like, like head roll. Does his head. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's so funny the way he does it. Yeah. And so then he proceeds to have, like, an epileptic fit, which, like, is problematic like they're like yeah you know that's not like something that it's like oh i want to laugh at epilepsy but i also feel like these are con men you know they're nefarious neither of them are right, good right, people right. like this is one of those like okay this is like they're they're not good like i don't want this to work for them yeah it does but like that furthers the plot obviously and like that comes back again at the end when at the very end they have spoiler alert the diamonds are all gone from the chairs. They uh-huh, find, uh-huh. they go through, you know, chasing Dom DeLuise throughout Russia, Siberia. They go to an island at one point because Dom DeLuise yeah. follows this rich couple to this island. Yeah. And uh. then they come back to Russia. There, There's no, like at this point, they are like haggard and... It's four months. The, four the, months that they've the been The timeline of this movie is four months and you find out that so after this, the very first chase, Ippolit actually gets the chair from Father Fyodor, right? Mm-hmm. But someone else grabs it. Yes. Takes it past the train tracks and, and uh, Ippolit loses him. They were in yeah. that chair. 
they went, the, he was just rounding up discarded furniture, or so he thought, this guy, for a mm-hmm. train workers lounge, basically, like a social club for the rail workers. Yeah. So they find out that that's where the last chair is. And then they go back at night to check that final chair that was like mm-hmm. down the street from where they started and the one that Ippolit actually had his hands on. Right. And they go back, they cut it open, there's nothing in there, and someone who, the guy that's working security there or whatever, like, was like, oh yeah, no, we found diamonds in that thing, like, the very first day we were, somebody stood on it to hang curtains, and their foot went through, and jewels spilled out, and we used that to build this whole place. Yes. So, so which is good, because none of these people needed to win. None of no. these people needed to win. No. Neither did the USSR, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, At least the they USSR. put it to to actual good communal use, like they yeah. said they were doing with their stuff. So fine. Yeah, um, but so after that, they're like dejected and everything, and basically, Frank Langella is like, "Okay, I'm pretty much done with you. I'm leaving. Man. Like, I'm leaving. We've There's no reason. The police, yeah. because then, like, because then, he kind of um, does leave it open for him to be like, unless we're buddies and you want to do this right well, and, and if you're not too, going and he kind of he's a little cold and detached about it but he does basically yeah. like invite him to say like hey i want to stay with you but he doesn't right. say anything so well, he's about and to going take back off. the reason the reason that they're like that franklin jill is like we gotta leave because after they find that the chairs have been like the diamonds are gone ron moody who is like has you a know, not a career criminal well, like not a career con <laughs> man and is yeah. just like a spoiled aristocrat has gone like has lost his mind and yeah. hits a policeman. Yes. And Frank Langella is like, never hit a policeman. Never hit a policeman. Um, never We're hit done. a policeman, which is just great <laughs> advice to follow. Mm-hmm. And then they like, you know, now they're being, there's a search out for them. And he goes, we've got to split up. The police are looking for a handsome young desperado and a crazy old <laughs> yes. man with a broken chair because Ron would be sitting there hugging <laughs> the carrying chair. The back carrying the, the chair top, that he broke. The back yes. of the chair that he has swung at a police van because this is all that he has left now. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, handsome young desperado and a crazy old man with a broken chair i'll be better off without you and then there's a pause and he goes i simply can't afford you anymore mm-hmm. and then he like walks away and kind of just leaves him and I'm like well there's no honor among thieves then i mean yeah you know and so then ron moody who is just like lost it at this point yeah but not completely because as jessica said there's like a door open that like you mm-hmm. can come back and like i can't afford you is him basically right his basic like entree of like okay you have to pull your weight here and Mm -hmm. so what ron moody does going back to that whole seizure thing is he starts faking a seizure yeah and people start like throwing money at him yeah and then ron moody or they start they start circling around him and then frank langella comes back there's there's a commotion frank langella comes back and you can see that's when you see that like oh they've become friends like that Mm -hmm. moment is frank langella gives this kind of twitch of a smile realizes what Rod Moody is doing and starts the same speech that he gave earlier about this poor yeah. epileptic man, like help our old and firm or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And people start throwing money at them. And yeah. so it's now like this con is going to perpetuate going forward. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a, a, and I'm reviewing the situation moment, if you will. Yeah. And like, I mean that it does bring it full circle there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that really is the biggest plot development in this yeah. movie. Yeah. 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 Um, in some but- ways, I think, like I, I mean, honestly, if we're going to get into it, I 
did not have a best line chosen going into it because like there are so many jokes I liked so much wordplay as we talked about, but like in some ways I think I simply can't afford you is my, like, that's the line that I remember. That's, that's the moment that I took away most of the movie other Mm -hmm. than some of the comedy was like that. I simply can't afford you yeah, because that really propels the next action. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to stake a claim of, I simply can't afford you (laughs) is my best line in the movie. So I'm going to go back to um, this one little tidbit real quick because we we did a a lot of like the plot thing because yeah. I was saying like, oh, I got super caught up in it and we got caught up in it. And then I'll mm-hmm. give you my best line. But there is this this. Oh, my God. The way I'm going to have to try. Well, this should be actually easy because the whole thing, everyone, this entire movie is on YouTube for free. Yeah. Like, that's how obscure this movie is. Is that like nobody cares that this movie mm-hmm. is just out there to watch? Nobody's taking it down. Nobody's like, oh, the copyright. No, no, no one cares. So go watch it. You yeah. won't. You have no like, excuse. It's free. Yeah, you're not losing anything. Anyway, so mm-hmm. Father Fyodor, which is the Dom de Louise character, it gets caught by Ostop, who he thinks is working the desk at the bureau yes. uh, of furniture that is not listed in other bureaus and he's mm-hmm. trying to find where some of these where 11 of the chairs went is they are still operating on that 11 of them were exist sold wherever or taken by the yeah taken yeah so where did that where did they go and so ostop has already found it and he's taken it but now he's trying to throw the other guy for the father off the track mm-hmm. and so he like scares him and he's kind of like, like we're going to report you comrade. Yeah. Kind of trying to scare him and, and trying to kind of like uh razz him a little bit, like giving him a really hard time about what are you doing? This is against the law. You shouldn't be doing it. And this. also and like, we don't like, religion, like who are you? So are you an atheist father? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, but then he's kind of asking him like, well, who are you? I can't give you this information if I don't know who you are. Right. And he says, I am Borobyanov's son, his firstborn. He was like a father to me. So, you are Borobyanov's son. Yes, I am. How old are you? 46, 44. Which is it? 42 and 42. According to our records, Borobyanov is 53. That means that when you were born, your father was 11. 46, 44, 42, 43, 42, 40, 42. How he goes from confident to like very not is brilliant. And, and so that wasn't my best line, but that was uh, probably the The setup, like one of the hardest that I laughed at this whole movie. So, and then we really do go, so then he forges a slip that says that the chairs were sold to this, to someone, an engineer for yeah. the the Soviet Union who had been stationed in Siberia. Siberia. So he's now going to trek it all the way to Siberia, um, which that's where my worst line happens. But my best line, I think, I really did have a hard time picking, but this one stood out to me as soon as he said it, and it continued to stand out to me, especially as I went through my notes and everything. I think, so they find that four of the chairs, three or four of the chairs had been sold 
from the museum to this theater company. Yes. This traveling theater troupe. So yes. they get on this like ship. They get on like a a boat, <laughs> a large boat with this theater company uh, who end up at the the same island that the engineer where, and his wife are now right, stationed at Yalta Siberia. or whatever. Is I think it Yalta. So. I think so so they're on it's this gorgeous. they're on this um boat and they're like pretending to be actors but then they're pretending to be like uh, like stagehands and they're like mm-hmm. these chairs got broken so they only get to look at two of them before they get caught and then uh, I don't even remember exactly where this line comes in but I think it's when they're down in the hull like smashing the chairs <laughs> Uh-huh. And it's not in the ones and that they got a chance to look at. And, or maybe it's later when they have the other chairs brought to them by the uh, completely corrupt uh, assistant producer. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in this theater troupe, one of these four, when they realize that none of the four chairs at the, the-, the theater troupe have the jewels. And he says, right. And like, Ippolit is just depressed completely dejected he cannot believe that they haven't gotten them yet and and you can kind of start to see that like Ostap is he's pissed but he's trying to take it in stride and he says the russians have a proverb the hungrier you get the tastier the meal on the other hand the french have a proverb merd <laughs> just loved it (laughs) there's so much like random yelling in this movie and every single time it happens it's hysterical like the um i am cousin chair (laughs) so Um, much random yelling in this movie and that i mean that really brings us to like that yes the whole like there is i mean there is plot because you have all the different people coming in to further the obstacles of the chase but it really is more one joke that gets heightened than Mm -hmm. a plot per se and so like I think my favorite iteration of the joke that gets heightened is on the island when, like, they are in. Oh, I have they're a great in Yalta. Line too. You know, they have the the both the um the father Dom de Louise has f- followed the engineer and his wife there, and they have this incredible exchange of thank. Like he he goes and like basically like offers to do whatever they want and uh-huh. they're basically like just like get, get out of here like take them and leave like, thank you and he's like thank you and they're like thank you and goodbye and then he goes like thank you and they're like goodbye and have a nice day and like just try to get him uh-huh. get him gone and he just like doesn't leave and it's a very very funny exchange that i am not doing justice um mm. but then they of course run into each other again like the ippolit and um, Ostop run into the father and the father is like going crazy because he now knows that the chairs that he has gotten from the engineer and which he hires some guy to take them off the cart and arrange them in a semicircle on the beach mm-hmm. and he goes fine day for a picnic the others should be along any minute <laughs> like, yeah it's- like like this guy is which this guy is like so zoned out, like there's nothing going on in this old man's head, but he like as if the father thinks that someone would be questioning why he asked for all of these tables, all these chairs with no table, no food, just fine day for a picnic. The others mm-hmm. should be along any minute. Like, like yeah, eleven other people or ten other people are going to show up at this random beach. 
to just and sit in these correct- nice chairs. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, um, Ron Moody and Franklin Jell are kind of like watching this happen from afar. Think- or have they not stumbled upon each other yet? Um, I don't remember how they come back there, across see, each that's other. That's the other thing with my memory of the- I watched this like over a week ago. And so I definitely feel like there's some, like I took notes on it, but there's some things because there's not really any. The timeline of how things go down in Yalta was really like, it was all very back and forth. And also, again, going to there's not really any other plot points here. Right. I think it's very easy for me to be like, well, what happened first? Like, I don't remember Mm -hmm. the trajectory of the movie and what happened where. Okay. But anyway, in Yalta, they are done. Now they're like in a cave under like they know that Dom DeLuise is going to be searching for these chairs. And uh-huh. like he like has this incredible moment where they're like listening to see what he finds. And uh Frank Vangela says, In a moment the jury will bring a verdict of like whether these chairs because it was like, Oh, he got to these chairs first. Uh-huh. And we'll we'll know if he ha- finds it. And then uh, Dom DeLuise on this top of this like very like tall cave. He rock, like climbs up, climbs this, up like, and is like stranded on this rock. of a rock. Yeah, um, just goes, "Oh Lord, why are you so strict?" Because like, clearly he finds nothing, <laughs> and that was the jury, the verdict. And then like they're like, "Okay, well the last chair is in Moscow. Let's go." And yeah. then then Dom DeLuise is like, "There's no way down." There's absolutely no way down. I'm going to need a great deal of help to get down. Boys! Oh, boys! Boys! Oh, boys! You boys! I have always liked you. And then he just, like, has this incredible meltdown. I think I wrote several times Dom DeLuise meltdown because it was just so good. And he like has this incredible Ugh. meltdown on the top of this rock, and he's like, "For Christ's sake, get me down!" Like <laughs> yeah. he's just stranded there. They just leave him, and you know, and, that, and just, that's it. We don't see him that's again. It. We don't see Dom DeLuise again. Yep. So he either jumped down or wasted away up there. I'm gonna venture to say he did not make it. Um, yeah, no. But okay, so but like that scene, and I, I it was just so funny. I think my last, I I do know that. My my worst line comes from that moment in Yalta, uh-huh. but I don't remember who says it. I just like highlighted it. It was like, "So you want to play horsey?" And I oh, don't. Yes, that was so weird. Um, okay, what was the context of that? Because clearly, I didn't like it, but I don't remember why. Now I don't remember, but some they're like wrestling. This yes. So this is one of the. This is the last chair from the theater. Yeah, something. I think so. And. It's another one of these things. They have a little sped up chase because like Dom de Louise somehow like finds them as they're like getting it or making an exchange or whatever. And so like he grabs it, he's running off and that's how they, he ends up in this like little outcropping of rocks and then like scales this boulder with the chair in his hand. But before that, one of them jump. I think Franklin Jealous says that. So he must have the chair at some point and Dom DeLuise jumps on his back. Mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. <laughs> yes, but it was I think so. so. It was so. It was I know that Franklin Jealous said it because, because I definitely felt like that this Ostap would not say that. Right. It was like, this it's is way like, too silly. It's way too silly, and he's so suave and everything else. He's I was so like, suave. I was like, I wrote down yeah. this line. Why did I write down this line? You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, 
probably I just like blocked out that moment because it didn't fit for me. So anyway, yeah. that was my worst line. Um, Jess, you said yours was in Siberia, which yes. is what leads us to Yalta in the first right. place. So, so Ostap at, back at the bureau forges this document that says 11 chairs. Mm-hmm. There, He found one that was like similar chairs, almost exactly the same chairs. He found a different mm-hmm. set. He changed it to 11 because obviously both he and one Father Theodor know They've already had the one that was there in Moscow. Right. So he's, it's this engineer that's out in Siberia. And he, um, so Father Fyodor goes all the way to Siberia, just randomly knocks on this couple's completely isolated, snow covered little house in the middle of nowhere and like invites his, himself in and has a meltdown like has a meltdown. Like he wants the chairs. He's going to pay a hundred, hundred dollars, 101, 102, 103. He's like, just, he wants them. And he's, he's like kissing their legs and saying like, thank you before they even know what's going on. Yeah. He is losing his mind in front of these people which he then continues it to is one of the funniest things i've ever seen brilliant growing up only really hearing dom de louise because he mm-hmm. did so much voice work for children's movies um when we were kids i would never have guessed that dom de louise was such a God tier level physical comedian. He's that thought never would Everything have crossed in this movie my mind. Genius, and and just ugh, I loved this scene, which is why when he said as as the engineer is trying to drag him out of the house, he says, "Don't judge a book by its cover." That mm-hmm. made zero sense to me. I didn't get yeah, it at it all. It made zero sense, and it took me out of what otherwise was this. Absolutely hilarious physical comedy scene. So you know, that I wonder was if my worst grab, like, line. I wonder if there's like a reel of that that we can grab and like drop on the Instagram because yeah. it's such a good. It is such a good physical He's, comedy. And like scene. right after it happens, he grabs the tablecloth behind him and like pulls their entire dinner down, and the mm-hmm. the the wife is losing it, obviously, which just adds to it. Ugh. It's, uh, it, it was so good. And just that one little line that didn't make any sense to me. I mean, I guess I can sort of see what he was trying to say, but it didn't fit. It wasn't necessary. Like he really right. didn't need to be saying much of anything. <laughs> right. I think, and, you know, it, uh, so the whole thing was like so perfect and so hilarious that this one little thing that didn't, didn't quite land and didn't quite make sense just kind of took me out of it for a second Luckily, he continued to go absolutely batshit crazy with these this poor couple's little Siberian house, and it recovered. But like, it was just enough to not ruin it for me, but to like take me out of it. And I was like, "Nah, that didn't land yeah. right." So, you know what's really interesting talking about the, all this slapstick physical humor, which is great. I mean. You know, you're saying when we started talking about this movie, how it really feels like indicative of the later Mel Brooks style. And it's funny because I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that. Like, I feel like there are parts of it that do to me this movie, because I would say like 
see producers feels more Mel Brooksy to me. Maybe that's because mm-hmm. just like I associate that with him because all of his other movies aren't necessarily the slapsticky. Like, yeah, there are, there's physical comedy in them, but there's so much slapstick in this that yeah. like, it's so like, it's, there's a lot more subtlety in like, I'm thinking, I mean, not the, not necessarily space balls or blaze or bend tights. It, I mean, none of them are subtle. They're all hit you over the head right, with whatever right. they're trying to do. But this, in some ways, feels more Marx Brothers-y to yeah. me than Mel Brooks. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of Marx Brothers influence in this movie. And I think you see that with the plot. You see that with the use mm-hmm. of the really slapstick, sped-up camera. Like, yeah. there are just those conventions that I don't really think you see. There is a little bit more grounding in other Mel Brooks movies. Yeah. I just see it more as, like, you can see that he's breaking norms and and like where his like where his style may be going not necessarily that it's like this is the representation or these exact things were things that he used but more that he was thinking of like how he was going to use different elements of comedy and different elements Mm -hmm. of like actual like the photography like we talk about the actual cinematography and like the actual environment like we talk about here we see like the signs at the bureau like signs are such a huge element of Mm -hmm. comedy like his comedy it's a lot of predictable gags like i think and i mean yes the script of the movie of to be or not to be was pretty much pretty much the script of the 1942 original but there's the way that some of the joke structure is to me that feels more like the wordplay in this is very mel brooks but mm-hmm. like the joke structure, it's just, it's a, it's a different joke structure in this one. It's a, uh, which is, I mean, again, it's early and there is a lot that is very like, you see where his style evolves from this. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think, I mean, not that I need to rationalize it at all, but I'm just trying to like, you know, I think why I appreciated it and it was very, I'm glad I watched it. And of the Mel Brooks pantheon, this is not going to be one of them. That's my favorite. Doesn't right, rank higher right. than um oh what's the one with Leslie um Leslie Dracula. and Warren no oh, Leslie and Warren the one where Which they one spoofed Donald Trump um oh life stinks yeah yes yeah life I, stinks I don't really remember that one very well yeah so it was I'm glad I watched it I I enjoyed it I loved to be or not to be and yes. this is where we clearly haven't done two movies in a while. Because <laughs> it's been an hour. <laughs> it's been an hour. So we're going to have to cut down some of this oh, yes. um, to have time to talk about to be and not to be. Because I think like I, uh, I did not know what to expect from this movie. I adored it. Join us next week for part two of this episode where we will cover the 1985 Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft led film to be or not to be to hear all of our thoughts on that movie and hear our best and worst lines until then follow us on instagram find us wherever you find your podcasts like follow rate review see you next time
Rabyaninov, I have always liked you. You know that. We come from the same village. For 25 years, I have been your priest. Oh, for Christ's sake, get me down!